I'm reading from Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who has come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Thank you, Francis. <clears throat> well, um, this will probably be short. Amen. Um, there are a lot of things that I can compete with, but food is not one of them. And so here before long, starting this side, the kitchen side, the smell is going to start making its way across, and I'll lose you anyway. So um, one of the saddest things that I can think of is for someone to believe that they are unloved and maybe even unlovable. When we were in Sepulpa, we uh, were a foster family, and most of the kids that came into our home were, uh, some of them were abused, but most of them, the, the primary thing is that they were just neglected. Um, we had a, a boy who probably when he was seven or eight years old would, uh, it, it wasn't uncommon for him to spend the night on a park bench uh, because that's just where he found a place to lay down. We were told by social workers that we should expect that uh, kids would probably hide food under their beds, uh, in their closets, maybe in a drawer somewhere, because they just weren't used to having it. And, you know, we could tell them, you don't need to do that, but in their minds, they needed to do that. Uh, I had a friend 30 years ago who would tell me, I would rather that you be mad at me than that you ignore me, because if you're mad at me, it at least lets me know that you care. If you ignore me, I don't even think you care. And so we had a lot of kids who would come in and, and uh, they would do all kinds of things, mainly just for attention, because they were not used to having attention. They felt like they were ignored. We went to a basketball game that our oldest daughter was playing in one time, and uh, we're sitting there in the stands with the parents from our team and the other team, and this little boy 
would yell out, our, our oldest daughter's Jessica, she'd, he'd yell out, slap me in the face with a basketball, Jesse. And it was funny for about the first 137 times. <clears throat> but by that 138th time, it was like, okay, can you come sit down? But he was just doing it for attention. We had a little boy that came in, and he'd, he'd get on the ground on his side, and he'd spin around in circles. His, his little feet would run him around in a circle, mainly to get someone, anyone, to pay attention to him. And we look on a situation like that, or situations like that, and have a lot of compassion on those kids and a lot of bewilderment about how it is that the parents didn't pay them any attention. We would have older kids that would come in who were not so much trying to get attention as they were angry, um, mad, just, and, and not at us, um, although it sometimes got expressed toward us, which was okay. I mean, I, I, I get that. But really, at just the circumstance, it's like, how in the, why am I a, a teenage kid in some stranger's house today and being told that this is where I'm going to be, be for a while? Um, why is it that the people that are supposed to care for me and, and love me I don't see the practical outworking of that in my life. There were people in Jesus' day that we look at in these Gospels that are mentioned here. Uh, they're not mentioned directly. They're talked about, really, uh, more than anything in this passage. But there are people who are blind, people who are deaf, people who are lame and all and and we look at those conditions in our own day and we think of people who may be suffering some of those conditions and and we may have compassion on them and think well how unfortunate and so we have ways built into our society to care for them maybe not as well as we always should but at least we have something i remember when Todd and Patty were early on in their marriage, and Patty was working at a school with deaf kids, and one of the things that she did was to learn sign language to help those kids out. We have those kind of things built in, but uh, so, so when we read that this group of John's disciples come and ask Jesus, are you the one, or should we be looking for someone else? When we read Jesus' response, when we hear that he says, well, go tell him that the, the lame walk and that the blind see and that the deaf hear and that the dead are raised and, and, and all of that, we hear that and we think, well, isn't that, isn't that wonderful that there's compassion shown toward these people who can't hear and can't see and and all of that. But, but John's, or, or the, the, those that heard Jesus say these words would have likely heard them a little bit differently than that. They wouldn't have heard that as, well, it, isn't that nice that unfortunate people are being cared for? Because in that day and in that culture, the blind and the deaf and the lame were not 
unfortunate people to be shown compassion for the most part. I mean, if, if we were to read through a lot of the stories in the gospel when Jesus encounters people like this, where does he very often encounter them? Well, very often it's in the temple courts. Why are they there? There's even a story of, of one man who had to be carried there by friends and left. Why were they around the temple? Were they especially religious? No. It's because in a lot of cases, their families didn't care about them. They went to the courts of the temple to get a handout, to, find, to try to find somebody who would do something kind for them. And the reason for that is because, and, and that can be found in, in one of these examples that we see uh, in Jesus' ministry, was that Jesus' own disciples asked him, there, there's this man who was born blind, and they asked him, who sinned that this man is in this condition? Was it him or his parents? And, and if it was him, then there has to be even an assumption that he could have sinned before he was born. I'm, because he was born that way. So who sinned? Was it this man or, or was it his parents that he's in this condition? And very often people who were deaf and blind and, and lame were, were that way or they were, they were believed to be that way because they were sinners. And because they were sinners, then their, their own families didn't care for them. They were outcasts. So they would go hang out at the temple in hopes that someone, their family wasn't giving them the care they needed. They hoped that someone would be kind enough to give them something to make it through another day. So, when Jesus told John's disciples, go tell him that the, the lame are healed, the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. What he's saying, what's implied in that, more than compassion, is forgiveness. I, I, it, when I saw that, it really kind of made more sense of the time when Jesus uh, was in, in the crowded house and they were trying to get the lame man to him, and the only way they could do it was to tear the roof open and lower him down. And, and what does Jesus say in that story? What, what's his first response to all of this? They brought this man here to be healed, and Jesus' first response is not get up and walk. It was your sins are forgiven. And everybody was... Ugh. How can you do that? Who, who, who can forgive sins but God? Well, that was the very point. Was that in his sins being forgiven, he was being healed. His healing came through his forgiveness. There was this expectation in Jesus' day that, I, I mean, why is it that Israel went into captivity so often? Why is it that they suffered under the Babylonians and the Assyrians and then the Persians and then the Medes and, and now in the New Testament, the Romans? Why? Well, it's because they had sinned. They had forsaken their God. They had 
fallen into all kinds of idolatry. But there were signs in the New Testament that that was being reversed, that they were getting back on the right track. The temple was being rebuilt. Well, the temple being destroyed was because of their sin, because of their rebellion against God. But now it's being rebuilt. It's because Herod was a king, a Jewish king. Not the king, because they were still a province of Rome, but there were signs that forgiveness was coming. And Jesus was telling John's disciples, go tell him that, yes, the signs that you see around you, whether it's Herod on a throne, whether it's the temple being rebuilt, it's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. I mean, Jesus is drawing on the passage that we have, or passages like the one that we have today from Isaiah 35, where it says, Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. Jesus is drawing on those prophetic images from Isaiah that when God comes, you'll know it because you'll see these dramatic examples of, God, uh, of things that only God can do. Blind getting their sight, deaf, hearing, lame, walking, sins being forgiven. But what's the basis of all that coming? Is it that God just changed His mind? That, well, He looked down on His people and He saw that, well, I I see that you're doing better now, so I'm going to reward that. I mean, that's the way that religion typically works for us in our minds. It, It works for me too often still in my mind. When something isn't going right, I think, God, what do I need to change? What do I need to, what do I need to do? What, what have I done that I need to stop doing? Uh, at work, we, sometimes go through this thing called uh, stop, start, continue. What are the things that I need to stop doing? What are the things I need to start doing? What are the things that I'm doing okay that I need to continue doing? And sometimes we import that kind of thinking into our religion that the reason that I'm, I'm not doing well is because I'm, I'm not being the right kind of person. But forgiveness isn't coming because Israel is all of a sudden doing better Forgiveness comes for one reason and one reason alone. Because God loves. That's it. Because the fact of the matter is, if you and I were to examine our lives today, look deep inside and think about the kind of things that you think and the kind of words that you say and the kind of words that you want to say that you don't. And the things that you do, the things that we do, we would all conclude that none of us are worthy. None of us are worth being loved. But God does not love us because we are worthy. He loves us because He's God. And that's the kind of God that He is. And because He loves us, He forgives us, and as a result of all of that, then the blind see, and the deaf hear, and the lame walk. And 
let me also mention that love very often comes in very practical ways. Love's not about how we feel. It's not about how someone else feels toward us, and it's not about how we feel toward them. Even my own kids, there were times that you just want to thump them in the head. I love them with everything that I've got, but there are times that, you know, you're like, okay, I love you, but I don't like you very much. Go away. But love isn't how you feel toward them. It's what you do how you respond to them. I mean, Paul gives us, tells us what love looks like in 1 Corinthians. He says that it's patient, it's kind, it's gentle, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. In, in some very practical ways for us with those foster kids, I mean, these are kids that we don't even know. And they don't know us. You, don't, you haven't developed feelings one way or another toward many of them, but, but very often it's Do you provide meals every day? Do you give them a place to lay their head? Do you take them to do fun things with the rest of the family? Do you include them? Do do you want the best for them? And do you work for the best for them? I mean, that's that's really the essence of love, whether, uh, whether, whoever they are. Your kids, foster kids, your neighbor, your coworkers, the people that you go to school with. All of them, it's wanting the best for them and doing what we can to provide the best for them. And that's that's where I want to tie this up. I I told you this was going to be quick, right? There's there's something that Brad said last week that uh, I I really appreciated, and it really hit home, talking about peace, that peace is not just something that we receive, it's not just something we experience, but that it's also something that we take with us, that we have the opportunity to bring peace into a world that's pretty chaotic a lot of the time. Well, I want to say the same thing about love, that you may be here today, and you may be a person who does not feel loved and does not feel lovable, or you have at some point in the past or you may right now. And I do want you to know that you are loved. You are loved by God, and in many ways that love is expressed through the people who are here. But I, I also want to say that there, whether you're in that condition or not, there are still a lot of people around you who are. And one of the things that God does through us is God did not create us to be a bucket. A a bucket that holds all of the good things that God gives us. Now, God, God pours His love out onto us and we receive that. We're recipients of that. We we get all the good things from that. But we're really meant to be more like a funnel, a conduit that the love is poured into us, but it flows through us to those around us. In the Old Testament, Israel was called to be a light to the nations. Israel was not... I, I, I know we talk about Israel having a special place in the plan of God, but Israel's special place in the plan of God was not to be just the, the sole nation 
that was the recipient of God's work and activity and love in the world, but they were meant to be the light in the world that showed the rest of the world, the pagan nations around them, what God looks like, who God is, what His love is like. And they were meant to be, the, they failed at that too many times. And they too often viewed themselves as, well, we are the special people of God. Well, I mean, you're the special people of God in order to give it back into the world, to show the world who God is. Well, that's the function now for you and me, is that God pours His love out onto us, into us, so that it can flow through us into a world that desperately needs it. Because we do live in a world full of people who feel unloved and unlovable. We're, we're one of the wealthiest, freest, most blessed nations in the world. And yet, you look at things like the suicide rate, you look at misery, you look at the people who, who just need help and are hurting, and we lead the world in a lot of that as well. There's a lot of opportunity around us to show people the love that God has poured out onto us. And one, one thing that I want you to know is that you are loved. And one thing that I want to tell you is now go and love.